Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Welcome, my name is Pastor Joseph Aranza, and alongside with my beautiful wife, Rochelle, we serve here as the youth and young adult pastors at OSC. And we are so excited about this week two of Legacy. How many of you were here last week to hear Pastor Chris's message? Was that a great message on Legacy? Last week, Pastor Chris kicked off our Legacy series telling us how we can intentionally live a life of Legacy. If you remember, or if you weren't here, he encouraged us to live a life of Legacy by partnering with God together and all of our campuses to raise a million dollars this coming up Sunday, November 6th, for our Legacy Offering Sunday. Now, there are four projects that we are committing this Legacy Offering to. The first one is the Retreat at Sunset. The Retreat at Sunset. Now, there are so many projects here, and I believe that as I begin to go through these, there are going to be certain ones that tug at your heart, ones that God is asking you to be a part of. But I got to be honest, this one for me is very personal. Uh, If you don't know this today, the plague of our generation is addiction. It's called the opioid epidemic. It is wiping out an entire next generation of young people from 35 and under. My wife and I lived in California for four years and you would just drive down miles and miles and miles of streets in LA and just see young kids just like homeless, no purpose, just hooked on drugs. It was devastating. And when my wife and I moved to California, we had actually a guy from South Louisiana. His name was Andre, and he lived with us. I think I have a picture of us and our sons together. There it is. That is us and our sons. That's his boy, James. That's my son, John Wesley. He lived with Rochelle and I for about a year and a half in California. He's like literally a brother to me. And uh, this last year, he passed away of an, of an opioid overdose. And Andre is just one of many, many stories. It's very personal to me, but I know that there are many people in here that have lost loved ones due to overdose, due to this opioid crisis. Uh, six months ago, in, in a span of about three or four months, we did 10 overdose funerals just at this campus. As the church, we have an obligation not just to preach about what's wrong, but to actively be about building what's right. And I believe this retreat at sunset is a solution for guys like Andre. Uh, if you don't know what it is, we have a home for guys that are dealing with addiction to come. And I don't know if you know this, but like the 12 steps program, they're great, but that's all behavior modification. The only real solution to addiction is a personal, passionate relationship with Jesus. That's the hope of the world. And at the retreat at sunset, they get jobs. A lot of these guys are coming off the streets. They don't even have an education. They get their GD and they are most importantly involved at the local church, serving Bible studies every day. This is the one for me that I'm so passionate about. The first project is the retreat at sunset. The second one is the foster care initiative. Now, Pastor Chris said it so well last week. As the church, we are pro-life, not just from the womb, but all the way to the tomb. And hear my heart when I say this. It is a sin for us to preach against abortion, but not be proactive with the foster care system. It is. 
It is. I'm so glad, so glad that that law got passed. I'm so glad. It's a huge, huge move for life. But let me tell you something. Uh, we read a statistic a couple of weeks ago. If every single Christian would adopt a child, there would be no need for the foster care system. It is our job as the church to rise up in a moment when our country's foster care system is falling apart as believers and to be proactively about building a solution. Our second project is our foster care initiative. The third one is our Savior's College starting in January. So far up about this, Dr. Scott Adams from our Midtown campus is gonna be heading this up. The heart is just to raise more leaders and to plant more churches. And lastly, but certainly not least, we are launching a new campus. Come on. How many want to know where? Come back next week. Sorry. My dad will be uh, on Legacy Sunday telling us where we're going to be launching this campus. One of the things I love so much about my dad, I just, I have a unique, you know, there's something called the principal perspective and what it means is where you sit determines what you see. And I have had a different vantage point. I've sat in the passenger seat of his truck my entire life. And I don't know if there's been a truck ride that we've taken to where he's not looked out a window and said, I think we could put a campus there. And I think, man, that'd be great. I think we need to do this. And I think, and the heart is not just campuses for campuses. The heart is the biblical mandate to go into the world and reach people for Jesus. There's a lot of people to be reached in South Louisiana. So I'm excited about those projects. But this morning, I believe that God has given me a message just for you on this second weekend of legacy. We're going to jump straight into the word Genesis 12. Sorry, Genesis 22, one through 12. It reads like this. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Three times in this story, Abraham will be called on three times. His response will be, here I am. The number is significant. I'll tell you why in a moment. He, he being God, said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Take your son, your only son. Man, doesn't that sound familiar? Can we go to John three sixteen for a moment? What does the Bible say? For God so loved the world that he gave his son, his one and only son. Now we've already established in the beginning of this text that God is just testing Abraham. So like God is wanting to see if Abraham would be willing to sacrifice his son, knowing that 1700 years later, God was gonna give his son. Let me remind you, God will never ask anything of you that he's not willing to do himself. Let's continue reading. Verse three. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and two of his young men went with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. By the way, this is the first time worship is ever mentioned in the Bible and it is in the context of sacrifice. Let's worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said for the second time, here I am, my son. He said, behold, I see the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said this. I want us to all say this together. God will provide. I don't know who needs to hear this, 
But let me remind you that your provision is not in the hands of our president. Your provision is not in the hands of our government. Your provision is not in the hands of the economy. Let me give you one better. Your provision is not even in the hands of your employer. Your provision is in the hands of the provider. And when you wanna know why, you wanna know why I have like an eerie peace right now with everything that's going on in our economy. The Bible calls it a peace that passes all understanding. It's because I'm close to a source that a lot of people don't have. So I have peace that you don't have. God is your provider. Don't forget that this morning. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar and there and laid the wood in order and bound his, Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said for the third time, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, fear God. Let me tell you something very quickly. I have conversations with a lot of people that struggle with this fear God thing. Fearing God doesn't mean that you're afraid of God. Fearing God means that you're afraid to live a life without him. Does that make sense? In this story, I see someone that is so dependent on God. In this story, I see Abraham who is so dependent on his relationship with God that anything that caused distance, he's not willing to compromise. The angel said, now that I know that you fear God, there's a fear of living without your creator. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. This morning, I wanna to talk to you from this topic. Leaving a legacy that lasts. Leaving a legacy that lasts. A few weeks ago, we got a call to the church and a, a wonderful woman that had attended our Lafayette campus, Miss Tiffany Louvier, her, she had passed away. And, you know, as pastors, it's one of the greatest privileges that we have to show up and do these funerals. Outside of a Sunday service, the greatest opportunity to reach someone for Jesus is a funeral. Uh, it was Henry Nouwen that says, pain has a purifying effect on the way you see life. Suddenly things that weren't that important, all of a sudden eternity becomes so important. So I showed up to this funeral and I sat down and her son Logan began to share stories about Miss Tiffany. Now, I had never had the privilege of meeting her, but it was evident by the room of almost 200 people that she was loved. He began to share funny stories about her mom being a Dallas Cowboys fan. Now, that's not funny, that's just sad. <laughs> and then he began to share all these memories about his mom's famous chocolate chip cookies. And then he started talking about his single mom working three jobs so he could go to college. And it was the craziest thing because although I had never met Miss Tiffany, I feel like I knew her my entire life. Because although she was no longer with us, her legacy still was. Because a legacy is a life without you, but still influenced by you. And I gotta be honest, as I'm sitting there looking at the room full of people and listening to her son talk about his mother, I couldn't help but ask myself the question, what legacy am I gonna leave? 
I love the quote by Jason Warner. He says, please think about your legacy because you are writing it every day. You see, all of us will leave a legacy. The question is, how do you leave a legacy that lasts? In the story we're reading, I believe that God gives us a blueprint on how we're called to leave a legacy that lasts. Now, in this scripture, you see a guy named Abraham. It's important to know this. Outside of Moses in the Old Testament, no one is mentioned more in the Bible other than Abraham. In fact, James refers to Abraham as God's friend. How many of you like that title, God's friend? My name's Joseph. They call me God's friend. That's pretty cool. Abraham's importance, his impact, and his legacy is seen all throughout scripture. And I believe in this story we're reading, there's three things that Abraham modeled that if we will model, if we will make pillars in our Christian walk, then we'll be able to leave a legacy that lasts. So this morning, if you're taking notes, I want to give you that. I want to give you three pillars of a legacy that lasts. The first pillar is faith. Come on, say that with me. Say faith. Parents, the greatest legacy, the greatest, greatest legacy we can leave our children is not a dollar amount in a bank account. It is not rental properties. And it is not your mama's gumbo recipe, even though that is amazing. The greatest legacy we leave is our faith. That's why I love Psalms 92, 13. It says, those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. I love this about God. We see this all throughout scripture where God will basically say, if you do your part, I'm pretty good at doing my part. We see this in scriptures like Romans 8, 28, where, where, where God says, I'll work all things together for the good. The hurts, the habits, the hangups, the breakups, the loss. Don't worry about it. I'll work it all together for the good. For those who love me and keep my commands. In other words, you do your part and I'll do my part. Parents, you want your children to flourish? Let me just pull the room this morning. How many of you want your children's life to be blessed? Okay, how many want your children to have a personal relationship with Jesus? How many want supernatural favor over their lives? Okay, it's very simple. Plant them in the house of the Lord. The Bible says, if you'll be faithful to plant them, I'll be faithful to flourish them. And this is what we see in the story we're reading. Look at Genesis 22.1. The Bible says, after these things, God tested Abraham. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. The very first thing God asked Abraham to do was offer his son on the altar for the Lord. I want you to see this because this is the call for all of us, planting our children in the house. It's our job to plant our children in the house. Abraham offering Isaac on the altar for God. Unfortunately today, most families have it backwards. Most families are not altering their children on the altar for God. Most families are offering God on the altar for their children. Please hear my heart when I say this. Children are a blessing from God and they belong to God. And every time we plant them in his house, we are simply returning the gift back to the giver. Does that make sense this morning? We must leave a legacy of faith. That's why one of the things I'm so excited about is OSC College, our college starting up. Can I tell you one of the most frustrating parts of my job, youth and young adult pastor, is every year we have to send out 15 to 20 young people to go get trained in ministry in other states, in other churches, when that should be happening here. I don't know if you know this, but if you're born and raised in South Louisiana, like we're a different country here. 
You travel outside, like this is a thing. People are like, you're from Louisiana, y'all are different. Yes, we are. If you're born and raised here and you have a burden here, man, I want you to be able to be trained here so you can reach the people that God has called you to reach. The first thing we gotta do is we gotta leave a legacy of faith. The second pillar that we see with Abraham is obedience. Come on, say obedience. Genesis 22, one through three. It says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. And I gotta be honest. As a parent, when I read this story, this part's difficult for me. Some of y'all teenagers are like, nah, I'm good. I'll, I'll offer them today. <laughs> but this is difficult for me. I, I do this in my Bible reading. I encourage you to do this. Whenever I get to some part of scripture where there's an attribute of God I don't understand, I just highlight it and put a question mark by it and keep moving. I, I trust God. I trust that he's sovereign, but I actually think Part of the wrestle is what creates intimacy in your relationship with God. God's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of the things that you don't understand. The overarching premise is, God, I trust you, but my human nature is difficult to read this part and understand it as a parent. Bringing my two-year-old son, John Wesley, on an altar with a knife and fire to sacrifice him, that's, that's difficult. I don't know if I could do it. I gotta be honest. But let's see what Abraham's response was. The very next verse. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. That's immediate obedience. He didn't pray about it. He didn't like wait a couple days just to make sure this was God. No, he rose early. The Bible actually goes out of its way to let us know that he proactively took initiative to get up early in the morning to be obedient. Let me tell you like my mom used to tell me, slow obedience is no obedience. Immediate. Let me teach you something this morning. The distance between knowing what God is asking you to do and doing it measures your spiritual maturity. The distance between knowing what God is asking me to do. Okay, God, I know you've called me to do this. Okay, God, I know you placed this on my heart. The distance between you knowing and you doing, that gap measures your spiritual maturity. Happens all the time. Uh, I was having a conversation with a guy two weeks ago. Every week, I normally do the front end portion and I talk about next steps and getting involved in church and serving. And he came up to me and said, hey, pastor, you know, I, when you were saying that, man, God, God really put it on my heart to serve. Like I know, like I'm telling you, like God put it on my heart to serve, but I just, I just can't right now. It's okay. Spiritual immaturity. Yeah. Pastor, yeah, I heard you talking about the, 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 the retreat at sunset and like, Man, I just felt like, like God wants me to give to that. Like, I, I feel like I'm a, supposed to be a part of that, but I just, the economy right now, I just, I don't know if I can. That's okay. It's spiritual immaturity. You see, when God calls you to do something, the only appropriate response, the only appropriate response is radical obedience. Radical obedience is what we see with Abraham. When he didn't see it, when it didn't make sense, and when it costs too much. You know what? I've learned when God asked me to do something, when I don't understand, it doesn't really matter. Do you know why? Because God doesn't care about my understanding. He cares about my obedience. It's not about my understanding. I don't have to see it all. I don't have to get it all. If God's asking me to do it, I'm gonna be faithful and obedient to fulfill it. That's why I love Deuteronomy 
Look, it says, if you fully obey the Lord. You see that word fully? It's an extreme word. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands, I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. If you fully obey, if you fully surrender, if you fully live a life of radical obedience, then you place yourself under the will of God. We must be obedient. The second thing he modeled was obedience. And lastly, he modeled sacrifice. Come on, say sacrifice. Look at the text. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter. Another word is sacrifice, his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Say that with me, say, here I am. How many times did he say that? You know what the biblical number for three is? Completion. You know why? Because he passed the test. Here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. You know what we see in the story that we just read this morning? We see great faith. We see great obedience. And we see great sacrifice. And do you know what faith, obedience, and sacrifice produces? A legacy that lasts. See, we haven't even got to the good part of the story. Now let's look at the very next verse, the legacy. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done your part. Remember, you do your part, I'll be faithful to do mine. Because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, here it is. Here's the legacy. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offsprings as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That's a great place to clap. I don't have time to get into the rest of this, but I encourage you, go home today and read Genesis 26 through this lens. It's gonna mess you up. Because in Genesis 26, you fast forward 58 years and you see this grown up named Isaac who was once on the altar in this story. And the Bible says there's a famine that comes and everything's dying. Cattle's dying, people are dying. And Isaac's afraid. And the Bible says that God comes to Isaac and says, hey, 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 you don't have to worry. Because of the obedience of your father, Abraham, I am your provider. That's legacy. That's legacy. I can stand here on this stage as a physical representative of legacy. And parents, when you are faithful with your faith and with your obedience and your sacrifice, you sow eternal seeds. And eternal seeds always reap a greater harvest than you could ever imagine.
always. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you have seen this orange chair back here. I don't know what this chair means to you, but to me, this chair is a symbol of sacrifice. In 1997, we had a hundred of these orange chairs and an old honky-tonk. And we had our very first Our Savior's Church church service. I think we have a picture of it on the screens. There it is. Wow, look at that. Yeah, I remember very well being eight years old sitting in this chair. First service. I remember hearing every single Sunday, my dad say, we're gonna have 100 churches. At the time, we had horth troughs for urinals. This is wild. I remember him leaving there and uh, spending two days, all day Sunday. This was his routine. It's like I remember, like it was yesterday. I was a kid running around. He would sit in a chair and he would make phone calls to all the people that he didn't see in church that Sunday to make sure that they were still attending the church. You lose 15 people, that's like 15% of your church. I remember the late nights. I remember my older brother was the worship leader. My mom took the offering. My dad preached the message. Me and my older brother Christian at the time, it was just three of us. We were on the bagel team. Uh, like This is sacrifice for me. But one thing I know is we weren't the only ones that sacrificed. Yesterday at Harvest Fest, I was having a conversation with Mr. Kevin and Ms. Tanya Cook, who are elders at our church. And she was telling me stories about those days. And she said, Joseph, we remember like being greeters at the door and first timers would come and they would kind of look around and see where we were meeting. And they would say, where's y'all's kids area? And it's like, oh, in the cafeteria. And they'd walk in there where there were some toys. And she said, we just knew they were never going to come back. And she said, for about five to six years, we had people that would come in and leave and go to like real churches, like Crossroads and the Bayou. And, and she said something, she said, but there was like a core group of us that we really believed. Like we did, we just, we believed in the hundred churches. We did, we, we believed that God was gonna do significant things. We believed breaking pride, poverty, and prejudice. We believed it. Like we, we, we just, we bought in and we sacrificed. We sowed when we didn't see it, like Abraham. We sowed when it didn't make sense to sow, we did it. And you know, when I begin to think about those people, the Pastor Randy's and Miss Paula's, I begin to think about the Mr. Kevin Cook and Miss Tanya's, the Mr. Don and Danielle Mendoza's, I see a generation that was faithful when the baton was in their hand. And now we're meeting in their legacy. And now the baton is being passed. And guess whose generation's turn it is now? Now it's our turn. An orange chair, a symbol of sacrifice. It's a reminder of who we are and where we've been. A sign pointing the way from generation to generation. So many memories. It is. Queen. I think I've sat in this before. This exact one feels like me. What's your name wow. on it? Yep. It's the actual chair. It is. Wow. <laughs> 
our, our Harvest Fest we did out here. Yeah. Like classic, classic Harvest so Fest good. memories. What'd you dress up as? I dressed, I dressed, I had a couple things. One, I dressed up as 100 churches. <laughs> I remember that. Was, you won the competition, the costume. The competition. And it, true story, this scarred me. I won the competition, but they didn't give me the bike because I was a pastor's kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? At that moment, I said, I'm hurt. But at Harvest Fest, I remember that was the first time I saw and heard about Don Mendoza and what had happened with him when he had his uh, wheelchair and stood up and said, this is what God's done for me. Wow. In light of his story, it was amazing. That's wild. One of the things I remember is every single Sunday, yep. we're planting a hundred churches. And it's funny because you press play and you look now, 2022, mm-hmm. and you actually see, I think his heart was less about the churches and more about the people. Yeah. And I think he probably looked out and saw a hundred people saying, we're gonna have a hundred of these, but you actually look out now and see thousands and thousands right. and thousands of life change. I remember learning about the power of the Holy Spirit in this room yeah. and feeling called to missions in this place mm-hmm. and going, my identity and who I was, it wasn't just for my mom and dad, mm-hmm. it was also for me to pick up that baton mm-hmm. so and run as well going, what an honor it is that we get to live beyond ourselves. I think the thing I'm looking forward to is continuing to do what we've been doing. The vision never changes. Yeah. It's just our turn to fulfill it. And the vision's always been reaching people and building lives. When you have a burden for these people in this community, it's funny, I was riding on the golf cart with my son. Every time he gets on my lap and wants to grab the steering wheel, his first instinct is to yank it left. And the temptation for the next generation is always to do something new for the sake of doing new. But really the foundation of the path has been laid out before us. It's just simply our turn to continue doing what's already been done. It feels like a Elisha situation where we've watched the Elijahs, like where like your dad was youth pastor, like the best one preaching to clubs and now it's cool that I'm sitting in St. Marvin Junior High mm-hmm. with a hundred kids coming to a Bible club. We are a church planning church and to raise up the next generation of leaders to go out for missions and global missions and even just seeing one day young women mm-hmm. come up into their God-given identity. Yeah, that's awesome. I think I'm really passionate about seeing people bringing God into their workplace and into their own sphere. It takes all of us to build the body of Christ and to bring Christ into our everyday life of where we are. One thing that I hear Pastor Jacob saying all the time is tear down pride, poverty, and prejudice. And um, a a black man married to a white lady as a mixed daughter is something that I really, really, like God has placed on my heart as something to really tackle. And I love that that's the heart of this house. When I think about those people who were in that room, um, I get very emotional thinking about it just because if I was to go back and tell all of them, every pain, every moment, every tear that you sowed was is so worth it and has given us in the future generations to come and everyone in our house right now, the strength to also make that sacrifice think you won't even begin to cover it, honestly. I think stressing that every little thing matters. What you're doing right now is the reason why I have a family. This isn't about us. This is about Jesus. This is about the the children and their children and their children, and it keeps going on. I would just say thank you for showing me who Jesus is. Yeah, I think I would first say thank you because 
the first life that's been very impacted has been mine. Yeah. And my life has been built on the sacrifice right. of these people. Yeah. Wouldn't be here. My wife, my family. Yeah. What we're building wouldn't be here without them. You know, when you sow eternal seeds, the harvest is always so much bigger than you would ever imagine. <laughs> yeah. So much bigger than you'd ever imagine. Yeah. And that's what I think. I think of the people that gave and listened yeah. to a vision when we had a hundred people right. inside of an old honky tonk. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> probably thinking, you are crazy. Yeah. And then to be able to see, wow, look at what God did. Yeah. Now it's our turn and we're carrying right. the baton. Absolutely. And we're doing the same thing. Absolutely. And there comes that moment where you do it because it's the path that's laid out before you. But then there comes the moment where you do it because it's the burden that you have. Right. And you see, we serve a generational God, the God of yeah. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's so cool to see now it's our turn. It's our turn. It's our turn. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The baton has been passed, and now it's our turn to leave a legacy. Pastor, what are you asking us to do? I'm gonna ask you to do three things. The first one is pray. First one's pray. I want you to genuinely ask God, what do you want me to do? Let me ask you a question. Those four projects we were going over, how many of you just, there's a project that just made your heart want to burst out of your chest. You want to be a part of. Pray. The second thing is you'll find this card in the pew pocket in front of you. I want you to attach your greatest need to your greatest gift. Why your greatest need? Because we just want to pray with you. We want to partner with you. And lastly, we ask that you bring this on November 6th next week. Because you know what that is? That's the sacrifice. Time has been passed, and it's our turn. With every head bowed and every eyes closed. Father, we thank you that you are a generational God, that you are a God of legacy, that when we plant in your house, when we are faithful to build your house, you will be faithful to build ours. That when we sow seeds into your house, Father, you are always faithful to continue to build ours. Father, we thank you for the legacy Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of the generation that went before us, that was faithful to sow when it didn't make sense, that was faithful to sow when they couldn't see it. And Father, I thank you for the faith and the obedience and the sacrifice of those in this room now that are going to be faithful to sow so the next generation can stand. For those that are here in the room with every head bowed and every eyes closed that are saying, Pastor, I hear you talking about legacy. I hear you talking about a generational God and Maybe you're a parent. You can say, honestly, I don't have a relationship with God. But hearing you talk about the importance of legacy, I, I want a relationship with God. I, I need that. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, I want to give you the greatest opportunity you will ever have, and that's the personal relationship with Jesus. A personal relationship with him. So on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you would like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. One, two, three. I see you. I see you. Hands up all over. I see you. You can put your hands down. Church, can we pray this prayer together with those that just made that decision? Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe 
that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe that you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. Amen.